There are some problems with machine learning that can be solved relatively succinctly and then sort of left alone and trusted that, that they're going to be able to work. Maybe some of this could involve predicting customer churn or automating some particular paperwork process where more or less the factors involved are going to stay the same. In info security, that's not the case. Hackers don't use the same strategies. Hackers are real smart humans connected and networking with other hackers and trying to find ways to gather technology and, and information to, to allow them to breach companies and to be able to do what they do. So that constant threat makes info security an interesting problem to try to solve with artificial intelligence. And our guest on the podcast this week is of the belief that that necessarily involves humans in the loop, transferring their expertise gradually and over time to enhance the ability of just detecting anomalies to, to really replicating human expertise in a living, breathing way day to day. Uday Viramachineni is the CEO of PatternX. PatternX this year raised a just under $8 million round led by Coastal Ventures. Uh, they're based down here in San Jose. And Uday speaks with us through an actual example of what a human would do and what a machine would do in a real application, a real instance of a potential data breach or a potential hack event. So without further ado, we'll bring on Uday to sort of walk us through a potential example of how artificial intelligence and machine learning in info security would work in the real world. So Uday, we've had a, a number of executives from InfoSec companies working with AI and, and with machine learning, and I've heard the term anomaly detection in probably every single interview. I know a core part of your own hypothesis around what needs to be done in InfoSec is actually moving beyond anomaly detection or making up for what some of its gaps might be. Give us a brief rundown of sort of where you see those gaps in anomaly detection when it's used alone. So just to give you an idea, I mean, generally InfoSec, the way they've worked traditionally is that they've created a lot of these rules and, you know, the rules generate alerts and, you know, human analysts go and chase those alerts down and figure out if there's an attack or it's a false positive, right? So the InfoSec industry evolved from that and said, look, the rules are not working. They're producing a lot of noise. Can we look at anomaly detection and see if we can improve those ratios? So while anomaly detection does show uh, some improvement in terms of catching things without rules, what it essentially does is the things that it catches are mostly statistical outliers. The challenge with that is a lot of times attacks could be statistical outliers, but not all statistical outliers are attacks, right? It's like saying I'm looking at a room full of people and they're between five and six feet. Somebody that's eight feet tall is an outlier, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's a thief, right? So that's the challenge with anomaly detection, where it's flagging outliers, which may eventually end up as false positives. So the next evolution to that, the next step to that is where you're truly leveraging humans and you say, OK, I'm going to show you some events. And the humans look at it and say, well, these are normal, benign, but these are attacks and they're attack number 25, right? So what the machine should do is go back into the data and figure out that, you know, human said that, human analyst said that this is attack 25. Well, what pattern exists here so that, you know, I can accurately predict if this attack 25 happens again, right? So that's sort of going back and saying, well, if I'm looking at a thief, the human analyst told me that this guy is actually a thief. Then I'm looking at his behaviors. I'm saying, okay, what did he do? Did he walk into a store? Did he walk out with stuff without paying? You know, the whole kinds of things that you want to look at. So that's the pattern that the machine can identify very, very well by diving into deeper set of large volumes of data. 
So once it has a pattern, it comes back and says, okay, now I know what's a good predictor. And it's going to use that to predict what the human said the first time. So that's what needs to be done in InfoSec to uh, sort of address the false positive and false negative ratios. Got it. Yeah. So, so there's there's this whole issue of, I guess, context that the machine by itself, unless that's in some way been detected before, may not pick up on. For example, there may be a particular kind of attack that's been more prevalent around the holidays or that's been more prevalent in recent months in a particular industry. And there may be very particular signs or hints of that very particular kind of attack that maybe otherwise wouldn't really have been known by a machine who's just looking at patterns. A human would have to say, oh goodness, this is something we need to start looking out for right now. I should flag this for the machine. That kind of broader conceptual piece sounds like the tough part for the machine to handle. Yeah. So I think for a machine to work, it needs some examples. And once the human analyst gives those examples, it can go back and figure out, you know, what pattern can accurately predict that example. Yeah. And and you talked about how, you know, anomaly detection is an unsupervised learning task for those of you who want to go ahead and Google that, but essentially machines looking for patterns in, in data that does not have labels. InfoSec, often, you know, we're looking at data that doesn't have labels, just signals from all over the place. When a human does label the data, such as, hey, this is this particular kind of attack. When we see this, it indicates this particular kind of attack. That sort of supervised data is working with data that has labels. So we're kind of mixing the two. You would use the term kind of active learning I mean, I think folks who are tuned in to this episode may be familiar with the term reinforcement learning. Talk to us about maybe the difference that active learning, sort of what sets it apart from conceptual understanding of, of reinforcement learning and kind of where it plays a role here in InfoSec. Yeah, so one of the challenges with InfoSec, applying sort of AI slash machine learning in InfoSec, is the problem that there aren't many examples to train a machine, right? So that's why people end up doing unsupervised learning, which is what an anomaly detection is where you don't need examples, you just show what's a statistical outlier. But to do supervised learning, since you don't have you don't have examples, what we use is a concept called active learning, which is there are human analysts, they are looking at things today, uh, but no one's capturing their feedback. So what a machine could do is iteratively interact with the human analyst, ask him what he thinks about um, certain events, and as he's giving feedback, go back and figure out how to construct a predictive model based on what he's saying, right? So in a sense, you're constructing a training set or a set of examples on the fly, interacting with the analyst as threats evolve. So you're continuously updating your models. You're continuously building your AI models to be, to be able to figure out something that an analyst is saying at this moment. Got it. And that sort of takes us into the notion or the question around where is the role of sort of man and where is the role of machine through this process? And we're getting a sense of kind of the dialogue between the two, just from you describing how things are working with that previous example. When a, when a technology is initially installed, obviously, you know, as the, the guy running the show at, at PatternX, you would know what an installation looks like for your technology. We've had the guys from Aluron and, and Securonix and a bunch of other folks in sort of the similar industry, I imagine, set up maybe is is somewhat similar across technologies. What is the initial human job to sort of plug in a security of this kind that is aiming to detect anomalies and then bring humans into the loop? What does that initial setup uh, sort of look like? What needs to be hooked into? What does that take to sort of, with human effort, to, to get a system plugged in? 
as we walk into a, a large company, there are many, many data sources. There are literally 100 plus data sources that exist. Obviously, we have to install within that infrastructure so that we are able to consume that data on a real-time streaming mode. But that's sort of the fairly uh, standard process of you know installing any big data system. But the, the real AI piece starts after that. So on day one, we don't have any feedback from the analyst or there is no training example. So on day one, what we end up showing, for example, would be the output from, let's say, if you do an anomaly detection, you can start off by showing the 50 anomalies from your anomaly detection system. Or if you have a sophisticated rule-based system, you show you know 50 alerts from that rule-based system, right? So the human reviews them, investigates them, and says, well, these 48 are normal, but these two are, you know, sort of attacks and they're attack number 25. So the machine goes back and, you know, sort of crunches the data again and says, okay, for what the human said as benign versus an attack, what patterns exist in the data that can discriminate between those two, right? So it comes back the next day and says, you said these two, these two are attacks last yesterday. Well, I found these three similar ones today. What do you think about these? So the human may say, well, I investigated these and these two are attacks, but the, the last one is not. And you got that wrong. So now the human is reinforcing. The analyst is reinforcing the machine. He's saying, okay, you know, you got these right, but you got these wrong, right? And you do this iteratively and continuously. That's the process in which sort of humans and machines engage with each other. And one of the key differences between InfoSec and every other industry is that there are humans attacking from the other side, right? So they're continuously morphing. So it's not like I, I, I figured out how to predict a particular kind of attack and I've, I've solved the problem, right? It's like it doesn't work that way. So as humans from the, you know, as the attackers evolve, the machine needs to figure out the new evolving patterns and help the analysts to navigate the evolving threat landscape, right? So that's the role of AI. You know, you engage with human analysts as the attackers morph. And let's try to walk, I'm trying to imagine for the listeners tuned in, some folks may have direct experience in info security, some may not. When we talk about training the machine and sort of detecting, you know, what's an attack and what isn't an attack, the goal of the machine is to find the patterns. Okay, I found these six anomalies, only these two were flagged as attacks. Okay, let's find the patterns that put these two in common as opposed to the rest of the six. What are some examples of signals? I mean, maybe you can maybe you can walk us through like some kind of basic cyber attack, what those little flags and underlying signals might be coming from where. Maybe we're talking about, you know, are there patterns in the IP address? Are there patterns in the connection speed? Are there patterns in the activity once they get to this particular website? What kind of would be picked up on during, you know, let's say some kind of a mundane attack, maybe it'd be possible to walk through it. I just want people to be able to to really see this in their heads as you're explaining it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a very good question. The thing that people have done for a lot of years in the infosec industry is that human analysts have been trying to create these rules, trying to figure out what an attack looks like. And we're flipping that other way around. The human analyst tells the machine what's an attack, and the machine tells the human what the attack looks like. So that's the pattern. And These patterns can be very, very complex. So just to give you an example, I mean, the very standard sort of thing is something called command and control communication. Hmm. So people have created all kinds of rules to detect those. Command and control at a very simple, simplistic level is that your laptop got infected and it's communicating with the server that is controlled by the hacker, right? And the, the communication is very systematic. So it happens every two hours, it communicates every three hours, or it sends packets every two hours, or things like that. 
you could create a rule. You could say, look, if somebody is communicating every 10 minutes, I want to flag that as C2, right? Obviously, if you run it, on, if you run that kind of rule in a Fortune 500 company, you'll get million uh, million hits, right? Whereas in reality, the number of the attack space is only in tens, right? So you've, you've just clobbered yourself with a bunch of false positives. But if you point out a bunch of C2 communications, command and control communications to the machine, the machine will go back and say, let me look at a variety of parameters. It could be that the standard deviations of the duration, average duration of all these connections is closer to zero, which may indicate that it is systematic. The number of bytes sent may be very systematic. Or, you know, the other extreme, which is the number of packets sent is very, very random, right, between your connections. It'll start detecting somebody who's trying to obfuscate communication. Now, it's going to figure out those patterns that exist that can predict a C2 communication. And it's literally going to look through 200, 300, or even 1,000 of those metrics. And it's going to find a pattern amongst those. Right. So that's the power of machines compared to humans in finding patterns. Yes. Okay. Got it. So again, I'm painting the picture in my own head just because, again, my, my experience is more in kind of the marketing side than the infosec side. But this idea of a command and control sort of breach is when, again, a, a computer is infected in some way, shape, or form, and it, it is now on some automated basis sending information back to another server. And this right. could be someone phishing for passwords. This could be someone phishing for files of a certain kind, maybe credit card information. What, what kinds of information is sent back or, or could be sent back? You know, maybe the most threatening kinds of information that are pretty frequent that someone is phishing for with a, a, a C2 attack, as you said, this command and control kind of attack. What's often being taken? So uh, look, C2 is a stage in your attack life cycle. Oh, so, it is. Okay. Uh, attack life cycle generally involves that you got infected with malware and then the machine communicates with the hacker. And the hacker tells the machine to go look for other things. And those other things could be, you know, value of interest in a company. And that could be, depending on what the company does, it could be your intellectual property. It could be your credit customer data. It could be credit card information. So basically what the attacker is trying to do is he's infected a bunch of machines. From those machines, he's trying to get to value of interest, which is, you know, let's say credit card information. Then he brings that credit card information back to these machines and exports it out to his server. And then he walks away with, uh, with with the data, right? So the command and control part is a stage in the attack where the attacker has infected your machine and your machine is communicating with the server that is controlled by a hacker. Got it. Okay, so this is a, an attack life cycle. Again, these are these are new terms for me, and I'm, I'm betting that a couple of the people listening in are, are just getting up to speed on this as well. So it's it's a stage... It's kind of the beginning of a threat in some way, shape, or form. It's, it's the beginning of, of someone getting sort of their, their hands on your information. It by itself can be detected if we know maybe where these servers are that they're communicating with, at what pace they're communicating, how much information they're sending, and various and sundry things like that. Um, wh what are some of those other, I guess, little patterned pieces of data that we might be able to detect and say, hey, you know, this is what really distinguishes this as an actual... Um, attack. You had talked about a very consistent, maybe number of packets sent. You had talked about maybe a very random number of packets sent. What are some of those? I mean, I know there's hundreds, so you don't have to elaborate too much, but what are some of those other subtle factors that can allow a machine to say, oh, you know what? You flag these three and I know for, for a fact, or, you know, here's, here's really what seems most likely to be the thing that these three have uh, in common. What, what could be more of those sort of underlying traces? That's an interesting question. So the machines, humans generally uh, look at uh, simple statistics 
so it could be packets and packets received or bytes and bytes received or durations and stuff like that machines can look at a lot more complex uh, relationships so it could say that well you know this host or this ip address communicated with this uh, server and it initiated 40 connections what was the duration of those each of those connections what was the average of that what was the standard deviation of those durations and then does the standard deviation gel with other standard deviation duration is the the time that the connection lasted yeah and then you could also look at interval which say connection between time between the connections and how do these patterns look at a higher level which is is there a pattern in standard deviations like your intervals and durations the standard deviation is you know let's say 10 10 seconds those are things that machines find and they may be more accurate predictors than just looking at one or two simple stats yeah right? so, so th- that's that's an interesting kind of value proposition for machine learning in this space is that um, and, and really, I guess, in, in any sort of pattern detection task or any machine learning task, but this notion that, sure, humans can think through some of it, and you could pay an intern to go figure out, hey, is this the same as this? Uh, are these mm-hmm. the same as these? But there's myriad other sub-factors like, ooh, let's look at the standard deviation of the intervals of the connections made during these time spans. And, and people couldn't possibly run through all the mathematical permutations of, of all that communication and, and feedback, but machines would maybe be able to find the underlying uh, patterns that you would, wouldn't would even, li- maybe wouldn't literally be able to even think of. Correct, yeah. That's exactly what this, uh, what, uh, like when I say that, well, once the human says that this is an attack, uh, like machine literally goes through uh, millions of combinations to figure out what's the right, uh, what's the right combination. Yeah, and th- that's that's curious. And of course, because, you know, there's a malicious actor on the other side, you're always going to have to be learning and adjusting to what those factors are, what those commonalities are. They're going to figure out what's not working, and then they're going to make their own hypotheses and try other attacks. The The argument's pretty clear as to why you'd sort of need that that human and machine loop working together, because it's it's very difficult to detect all the millions of potential patterns. Lastly, Uday, just because I'm, I'm wary of time, but I did want to get to this because we talked about this off mic, and I know we can uh, probably dig into it pretty quickly. Um, you had talked about this notion of sort of the holy grail of machine learning and AI in, in info security, where um, the good guys, so to speak, would be able to share and conglomerate sort of knowledge, aggregate knowledge around what attacks look like and be able to, you know, protect themselves uh, kind of at large from attackers. Attackers are always in communication about maybe what's working, what's not. Uh, there's like groups that are out there. Uh, you know, maliciously aiming to breach big companies and, and working together on that. Um, what What is that holy grail as you see it in terms of how uh, we could really make a big dent in info security threats uh, sort of in a, in a larger way than just with one company? Yeah, so the, the holy grail of AI and InfoSec is that what I was describing earlier, right? The machines are able to find complex patterns that are good predictors. And right? obviously... Uh, to get to that, um, a human analyst has to train the machine, um, and there are human analysts at every company that are doing that. Um, so now, can we share a, a pattern, a complex pattern that was detected at one company with another company? Right, and that's the holy grail. Uh, as you get more and more analysts on the platform, as on an AI platform, and they're able to share not just the basic uh, blacklists of IP addresses or email addresses, which are easily changeable. But if you're able to share a pattern 
a complex pattern of uh, an underlying threat. Um, and that's it's very hard for attackers to change that. I mean, they'll essentially have to go and retool themselves. Then just sharing, you know, a bunch of uh, ID addresses and user email addresses, which may uh, be much easier to change for an attacker than, you know, changing the underlying tools that he's using to attack. So that's sort of the holy grail where you're, you're enabling a good set of people, a good group of uh, analysts to collaborate and fight against the attacker population. Got it. That would be done. I suppose there would there would have to be some sort of underlying body. Maybe it would be a company. Maybe it would be a an organization, some sort of open sourced you know organization that would permit for sort of a way to source those common attack patterns across large companies. I wonder who would kind of play that role. It seems like a, a pretty robust role to play. Yeah. So th- again, there's a lot of automation there. So it's not a manual thing. So as the AI becomes more mature. Um, it should be able to absorb these patterns from outside and train itself. It's more of an automated process than somebody saying that, you know, I'm going to give you this and give you that. So there's no sort of exchange per se, but it's more sort of if someone participates in an AI network, he should be able to train his AI machine much faster across wide variety of threat vectors than just trying to train it himself with his own analysts. Yeah, and uh, hopefully there would be, you know, as you had said, as AI matures, you know, some some facilitation of that process where we actually would be able to see sharing of, like, essentially as as an attack hits somewhere, more and more businesses being immune or or being able to block and detect that kind of attack instantaneously. Although I can imagine you, Day, given the fact that we've got malicious actors on the other end, they're going to be working hard too. It sounds like you won't be out of a job anytime soon. Absolutely. I think the key is that the machine analyst combination needs to evolve faster than the attackers are evolving. And that's the crux of to solving this problem. Well, I've got my fingers crossed for you on that one, Uday. And I, I very much appreciate you sharing your perspective here. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Dan. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast. And thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.